This podcast is for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Yeah, I'm fine. Nobody cares. Big news, though. Two of our most loyal listeners, Amanda and Mark, have tied the knot, and this is the first episode that we've released since they've been married. So congratulations to the newlywed McGuire's. Yeah, congratulations, Mark and Mandy. And I heard Grant's best man speech was terrible compared to mine. So sorry about that. (laughs) That's the other thing. I was the best man of this wedding, (laughs) but we had a wild time and I freaking nailed the speech. So it, it was a good time. All right. Well, that's good. So let's get into the case tonight. All right. Let's get into it. So this episode takes place in Orange County, California. In 1979. Dude, what is with all of these cases (laughs) from like where we're from? And at least I have no idea about. Yeah. Well, we weren't born yet in 1979. So that helps. Yeah, that's true. That that does help. But but the 70s were a real sketchy time for Southern California. Clearly, like I had no idea that this kind of shenanigans was going on so much. But also, this is the lawless land. Like people could get away with everything at this time yeah i don't know how our parents survived the 70s and early 80s to go on to have us yeah no kidding and with all the other things just running rampant that you could do and like not get in trouble for yeah (laughs) it's gnarly like but the serial killer shenanigans around this time were unprecedented does that mean this is a serial killer yes oh man this is a present (laughs) to me thank you so rodney alcala was just arrested in july of 79 the hillside stranglers bianchi and bono were also arrested that year but there were a lot of active ones like Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris who audio tape their attacks on women. They would attack them in their van and audio tape it. Dude. Yeah. That is some weird stuff. The Golden State Killer, Joseph James D'Angelo, was active at this time. And he was active all up and down California too. So did yeah. he come down as far down to Orange County? Oh yeah. He had yeah, murders in so. Dana Point and Irvine and yeah. That's so crazy that he would travel that far to kill. Yeah. The scorecard killer Randy Kraft was active at this time. I don't even know about that one. You gotta do a case on that. Yeah. The freeway killer William Bonin. William Bonin. I don't Dude. know if it's Bonin or Bonin. I don't know. I don't like him. He creeps me I out. haven't heard of that one either. There's a ton of these that I love the serial killer cases. I don't know most of these. Oh yeah. Samuel Little was drifting all around at this time. I don't know if he was in California quite yet in the 70s, but he'd get there. Yeah, yeah, eventually. Yeah, Samuel Little, man, that was a crazy case. Yeah, so there was also an unknown killer preying on Orange County women at this time. He would later be called the Bedroom Basher because his M.O. was to break into women's ground floor apartments or houses while they were alone and brutally beat and sexually assault them in their own bedrooms. Wow. Yeah, so just like a real fun time. Yeah, this kind of proves that there's always been like crazy stuff going on. It's just like the increase in media and technology that we know more about it. But it's it's always going on. Like, you know, it's just we hear about it more now. Well, and back then in the 70s, this was like when they started giving them monikers and shit, like the scorecard killer and the bedroom basher. Like they kind of, they over-dramatized it a little bit and gave them like a little bit. Cool names. Yeah, and media attention and shit. So they don't do that now. So we're going to start with the night of September 30th, 1979. What was on the country hot charts in 1979? Oh, you're not going to guess this week? The last couple weeks you've guessed. <sighs> I know, but they were closer to what I could guess. Okay, 79. <laughs> Dolly Parton. No. Number nope. one. No, oh, okay. Um, yeah, just try to get oh, the person. Glenn Campbell. Nope. Not Glenn Campbell, not Dolly Parton. Um, Boy or girl? Boy. Oh, 
the possum. Nope. That is George Jones. Okay. Nope. Those are your three guesses. Yep. Yeah. So it was It Must Be Love by Don Williams. Never would have got it. You know that song. I know that song. I do. I don't think I know who sings it, though. Don Williams. I mean, that's a pretty generic name. No, Don Williams. He's the guy who sings Living on Tulsa Time. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I guess I didn't know who sang it, but I do know some of those songs. So anyway, we're not talking about Don Williams in this case, so it doesn't matter. We're going to talk about a guy named Kevin Green. Kevin Green is 21, and he's a corporal in the United States Marines. He is a helicopter mechanic, and he's stationed at El Toro. I was trying to think of where he could have been, because I knew Pendleton, which is in San Diego, would be too far for him to be in Orange County. Yeah. And I was like, but I forgot about the El Toro base. I mean, that got cleaned up in the early 90s. Yeah, that used to be a real base, though. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so he had been married before, but he had recently split up with his wife when he met a lady named Diana at a bar, and they hit it off right away. They had what everybody described as like a very passionate relationship. They were like all over each other in love, but they also fought pretty hard too. Mm. You know, toxic as fuck. Punching in the streets and in the bedroom. Yep. Kevin was a 21-year-old Marine. He was known to drink too much, probably. Yes. And have a little bit of a temper, and he was Mm. allegedly into drugs. Mostly pot, but some people claim he also did LSD. And he would get kind of heated when he was on the sauce. (laughs) Oh, I love that. The sauce. Yeah. We should call drinking the sauce more often. So the couple lived in an apartment in Tustin, California, off of El Camino in Newport. I'm only saying that because I know Mm. you know where it is. I do know where that is. That's almost orange. Yeah. My parents lived off of San Juan in Newport like two years after this, like a block away from this. Oh, did they know about this? Have no. you ever asked? Yeah, I did. I called my mom and I was like, hey, why would you move in like a block away from where a serial killer was like killing people? And she's like, well, obviously we didn't know that. Oh, is this the same place that like they got real freaked out because of Richard Ramirez and your dad to go chasing somebody in his underwear? No, they were back in Orange by the time Ricky Ramirez was running around. Oh, oh okay. So they weren't there very long because that was what, 82? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I just thought that was interesting. So the police had been called to Kevin and Diana's apartment before for domestic instances. Sure. So Kevin had admitted to slapping Diana in the past, like in the heat of the moment when they were arguing. Ooh, can't do that, Kevin. Yeah, but he's admitted that he has laid hands on her. So no bueno, kind of a real messy situation. This young couple just starting out and there's already these kinds of like issues. So they do the most logical thing that they could do in this case and they add a baby to the mix. That doesn't solve anything ever. A lot of people think that it will, and it <laughs> never does. So, <laughs> wow. babies always solve all your relationship problems. Um, or they magnify them. It yeah. goes either way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all jokes aside, though, this did seem to be a happy time for them. They were excited about the pregnancy. They had bought all kinds of baby paraphernalia. They took Lamaze classes. They even practiced driving to the hospital and like, what are the fastest routes and stuff. Oh, that's dope. I like that. Yeah, I didn't even think about that like the days before like maps (laughs) to let you know where you are and where you're going that people would have to practice routes oh that's a good point yeah yeah well there's that i love lucy episode where they practice like getting out of the apartment because she's having the baby and then like the time comes and it's complete chaos which is what i assume actually is what it's like when you're giving birth right it's just absolute madness Right. So they were excited to be parents. So by Sunday, September 30th, Diana was more than nine months pregnant. She was two weeks overdue. So they were ready and just waiting for the baby to come. They watched a movie that night and hung out at home. 
Around 1.30, Kevin left the apartment to go to Jack in the Box. Obviously, either his wife had a pregnancy craving or he was smoking the ganja and wanted Jack in the Box at 1.30 in the morning. Yeah, I could see it going either way. Hopefully he wasn't driving and smoking the ganja, but probably was. Yeah. Well, there's literally a Jack in the Box like across the street on Newport. Even then? Yeah. The the Jack in the Box was there, yeah. Dude, Jack in the Box and Del Taco are like OG fast food restaurants. I know. I know. I was thinking about that. I was like, 79 things were open 24 hours. But yeah, Jack in the Box, late night munchies, that's always been their thing, I guess. That's nuts. Way to go, Jack in the Box. Way to be there for those late night cravings. But when he gets to Jack in the Box, the problem is the line was out the door and around the corner. Because they're the only one open at that time. That's what I'm thinking is that they're the only ones open 24 hours at that time. So instead of waiting in that long line, he decides to go to one that's in Santa Ana, a couple miles away. So either the one on First and Grand or the one on Edinger or the one on 17th and Yorba. I don't know. They're all like a couple (laughs) miles away. And apparently have all been there for a very long time. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter. He's gone about 40 minutes is the point. He goes to Jack in the Box, gets food, and then he comes back. He's gone about 40 minutes. When he comes home, he goes into the apartment and he hears what he thinks is snoring. But obviously he knows his wife sounds and it didn't sound like her snoring. So he heads into the bedroom and he sees a horrific scene. God, I already hate this. Yeah. Diana is covered in blood and the snoring is her trying to breathe but all of her airways are full of blood and it looks like she's been shot in the head there's like a gaping star-shaped wound on her forehead and it's so deep that you could see brain matter like it's a what yeah dude even if she survives this she's like not gonna be a whole person again like that frontal part of your brain is like what dictates your movements you know so like yeah and your personality Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so Kevin calls the authorities and tells them like, hey, my wife's been shot and she's rushed to the hospital and she and the baby are fighting to stay alive. The doctors would find out at the hospital that the head wound is not a gunshot wound. It's a blunt force injury. I was going to say like a star shape doesn't really sound like a gunshot wound. Yeah, but it was so deep that everybody assumed it was a gunshot. Like even the authorities at the scene. No, that's fair. But it turns out it was from blunt force trauma. God, how hard do you have to hit somebody and how many times to create that kind of problem to somebody's freaking head? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's real bad though. That is bad. Like that's something like that's sadistic, you know? Like it's one yes. thing to shoot somebody and like, oh, you know, kind of in and out done, but it's another thing to like sit there and like watch this go. Down. Oh my god, I can't even fathom that. Yeah. So Diana's fighting for her life, and about eight hours after the attack, the baby's heart quit beating. Oh, man. So they have to emergency take the baby C-section, and it would turn out it was a little girl named Chantal, but unfortunately, she was stillborn. Ugh. Yeah. How far along was she? She was two weeks overdue. Oh, wow. Okay, so she was fully cooked. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. So Diana was alive, but she slipped into a coma. But with the death of baby Chantal, this is now a homicide investigation. Yeah, fair. Yeah, so they perform a rape kit on Diana and recovered a semen sample. It's fucking gross, man. This is 1979, so that means, like, pretty much nothing. <laughs> we got it. Yeah, except they confirmed that she had been assaulted. Yeah. All they could tell from the semen sample though was a blood type and the only way they could tell that is if the person who left the semen was a secretor or not which it turns out her attacker was a secretor so they could tell that the person who left the semen sample was blood type o negative what does it mean that somebody's a secretor it's it literally means if they can tell your blood type from your semen 
Like if you oh. secrete your your blood type into your semen, you're a secretor. If you don't, then you're a non-secretor. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll have to ask the doctor next time I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first suspect is always the husband, obviously. Sure. I mean, it's the most likely person. Yeah. Kevin Green's alibi is that he was at Jack in the Box, and he did have Jack in the Box when he came back. He had a timestamp receipt, like he had gone to Jack in the Box. But when the detectives interviewed him, there was a few problems, like who the hell would go to a Jack in the Box in Santa Ana at 2 a.m. when there's one across the street from your apartment? Okay, I can see that. I mean, maybe they're thinking this might have been a hit or something. They don't like his alibi at all, because who goes to Santa Ana for a Jack in the Box when there's a Jack in the Box across the street? Like, even if he would have waited in that line... It still would have been shorter than driving to Santa Ana and coming back. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I see where that's going. Yeah. I get that. But besides this flimsy Jack in the Crack story, he also saw a black man in a black van lurking in the parking lot when he left. And the same guy was getting in his van and leaving when Kevin came back from getting burgers. Oh. So that seems made up. The cops were like, okay, buddy. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. He's like, yeah, I went to get burgers and there was a creepy black guy hanging out in the parking lot. Like, that is his alibi for when his wife was attacked. Does It's not looking good. No, that's not a very solid alibi. No. So then they interview neighbors, and some of them say that they heard the Greens arguing that night. You know, they were known to have domestic arguments, but some of the neighbors say they heard him arguing that night. And the fact that he's already admitted to putting hands on her yes. does not help him at all. But according to Kevin, it was not like a major fight. And that's why he left to go to the Jack in the Box was to kind of cool off and get food so that it didn't escalate. Okay, that seems reasonable. Yeah. And there's no other evidence that he was involved. And his alibi like somewhat checks out because he had that timestamp receipt and the burgers. And he seems genuinely devastated about the loss of his daughter. And he's standing vigil at Diana's side like any innocent husband would. So investigators have to track down other leads and hope Diana wakes up at some point and tells them what happened. God, what a like gnarly way to wake up though. And like your head wrapped up, you don't have your child anymore. Yeah. Like there's, there's no good way to wake up from this. So one of the leads that the investigators look into instead of Kevin, because they have to keep looking at other stuff, is the bedroom basher to see if Diana fits in that pattern. And the bedroom basher had been active since the year before. His first victim was 17-year-old Sandra Fry in Anaheim, California. He beat her with a two-by-four and sexually assaulted her. Well, shit. We're in the right space with the right type of same crime. Yeah. Her roommate came home to find the horrific scene and called the police, and she was transported to the hospital where they pronounced her dead. Then he struck again in April of 79 in Costa Mesa. He broke into the apartment of Kimberly Rollins and also beat her with a two-by-four and sexually assaulted her. Her roommate also found her when she came home and Kimberly was deceased in their apartment. Wow. Yeah. Then in July of 79, so a couple months later, he broke into the home of a woman named Jane in Costa Mesa and brutally beat and sexually assaulted her. She was in a coma for four weeks and she had a skull fracture, but she would eventually end up surviving this attack. Fully? Like made a full recovery? No, she had lifelong. She had a permanent tracheotomy that she had to have put in and there was- Oh my God. Yeah. But she does survive. Then on September 15th, just two weeks before Diana's attack, he broke into the home of Marilyn Carlton and attacked and sexually assaulted her. Her nine-year-old son was home. 
and ran into the attacker in the hallway. But the attacker, like, pushed him to the side and left him unharmed. And Marilyn would die the next day from her head wounds. Yeah, so these have all happened before Diana's attack. And then two weeks later, Diana's attacked. And then only a week after Diana's attack, and only a couple blocks away, 24-year-old Deborah Kennedy was attacked with a hammer and sexually assaulted, and she would not survive this attack. Then two weeks after that, on October 20th, 17-year-old Deborah Lynn Sr. was attacked and sexually assaulted in her Costa Mesa apartment, and she was also found deceased by her roommate. So Diana's attack fits really well with the M.O. of the Bedroom Basher cases and the timeline, everything. Okay. I'm listening. I'm just taking it all in. I'm just saying, like, the M.O. of her attack fits with the M.O. of the other attacks, and it fits in the timeline. Then three weeks after her attack, Diana wakes up from her coma, which is great news. That is great news. Yeah, now they just have to ask her, like, hey, who did this to you? The only problem is she has retrograde amnesia and a TBI, so she's having trouble forming words anyway to talk, and she can't remember anything from the attack or even before the attack. I mean, that's pretty standard, I would think. Like, that kind of traumatic brain injury, like, to the front part of your brain. Yes. She probably wants to just forget it, you know? Yeah. Well, her body does, at least, for sure. For sure. So, the doctors warn the police and Diana's family and Kevin not to ask her about the attack or what happened or suggest anything that might have happened because she was in an extremely vulnerable state mentally. Like, with what happened, if you fill in the blanks for her like when she's having trouble remembering something that will be her memory from like now on that's her memory oh man so they like warn her that she has to remember what happened on her own like you can't help her form memories right so they take her home and she starts rehab and it's going to be a long road months years it's going to be a long road to recovery but her family helps kevin and kevin and her move in with her family and he's a hundred percent devoted to helping his wife recover he's like a plus number one husband i really hope this doesn't flip and he's the problem because i'm really (laughs) rooting for this guy at this point yeah well diana slowly but surely starts to recover memories little tiny pieces at a time and again the doctors warn them to be sure that she recovers her memories on her own so they're being super careful with that is that include like the truth like you know things that like you know your name's diana or i'm your husband yeah i don't know i i would imagine stuff that's the truth they could tell like that they know for sure they could tell her yeah that's kind of what i was thinking too yeah i think it was just specifically around the attack so a few weeks later she's at a physical therapy appointment with her mom and she's talking to the physical therapist and the physical therapist is you know saying like i'm so sorry this happened to you you know have you recovered any memories like do you know what happened and diana points to her wedding ring oh no god damn it okay So the therapist, obviously, and Diana's mother, who took her to this appointment, thinks that she's indicating that Kevin was the one who attacked her. Well, I certainly did. Is that not what's happening? No, it is. Because I feel bad. No, 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 it is. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, good. So Diana and her family went straight to the police. And at this point, Diana can talk and is telling them what happened. Right. She says that she remembers that Kevin attacked her that night. Oh. Jeez, damn it, Kevin. Yeah, so around the same time, the lab results come back from the blood samples he gave after the attack, because they always take blood samples from everybody, and it turns out Kevin has O-negative blood, same as the semen found in Diana's Uh, rape kit. I don't like where this is going, but I'm hoping there's some twists in here, because I really want (laughs) Kevin to, to be a nice guy. Yeah. 
Well, his explanation for this is that they had consensual sex earlier in the evening. Okay, I mean, yeah, all right, that makes sense. Yeah, which some people are like, I don't know, she was two weeks overdue, nine and a half months pregnant, like, that's probably unlikely. And he oh, says yeah, that- I guess I don't know. Yeah, but he says that they did, they were trying to induce labor, which is something that people do to try to induce labor, and it didn't work. So then they watched a movie and hung out until he left. It's like a plunger, like, you just keep kind of hitting it until it, like, knocks loose? No. No, I think it has more to do with like the hormones that are released when you orgasm, but we're not going to get into Uh, that. Neither of us uh, are doctors, so we're not going to get into that. You're not a doctor. I went to school for 10 years, so I'm basically a doctor. Yeah. So they asked Diana if they had consensual sex that night trying to induce labor, and she says that's what they were arguing about. He wanted to have sex, and she didn't. So she says that he raped her, and then he hit her over the head with his key caddy from his nightstand. Oh, my God. And that's the last thing she remembers. Oh, my God. So obviously her family turns on Kevin. They realize that all along it was him. I've turned on Kevin, too. I was all for him. Yeah, because everybody's trying to, like, go the serial killer route because they don't want it to be the husband, but it's always the husband. Well, I mean, hey, 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 hey. It's not always the husband. (laughs) Husbands can be really nice and great guys, too. So let's get that out first and foremost. Yeah. But I do understand that when a domestic violence situation or when a violent situation occurs, the husband or the significant other in any capacity is considered first. And I agree with that. Because statistically- it's pretty much always that. Correct. I mean, there was like 90 active serial killers in Southern California at this time, and Diana wakes up and it's still the husband. <laughs> like, damn it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So they arrest Kevin, obviously. They arrest him on one count of murder, one count of attempted murder, and two counts of assault with a deadly weapon. And rape. No, they did not charge him with the rape. I don't know why. Probably because the murder. Well, in 79, I think it was more like, well, it's your wife. Yeah. You can't rape your wife. Exactly. Ten months later, Kevin goes on trial. Diana's the only witness for the prosecution. And she gets on the stand and her testimony is that he raped her and then hit her. And then he left to go get Jack in the Box to do the alibi thing. That's sadistic to like do that and then be like, well, that took out a lot of energy. I'm hungry now. Yeah. I think it was more like he hit her in a fit of rage and then was like, oh shit, I need an alibi. And so he went to Jack in the Box. And that's why he went to one so far away. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, so she took the stand, though, and she pointed right at her husband and told the jury, he attacked me and he killed our baby, and it was a really, really emotional trial. So Kevin is convicted, obviously, and he's sentenced to 15 years to life. He goes to Soledad Prison, which is up by Salinas, like in central California. Yeah, that's kind of where I remembered it being. Yeah, Soledad is a bad bad place especially back then just in like the 10 years before kevin goes there four guards were murdered in separate incidents at least three inmates were murdered like this place is not fucking disneyland like it's well so like (laughs) no it's not disneyland um like pelican bay uh well we'll go alcatraz to um san quentin those are obviously like really bad places but like does every state have like similar prisons or like does California just like have the gnarliest ones? No, everywhere has bad prisons. That's where they send the worst of the worst of the population. Okay. It's just California has so many more people than other states. We have more of them. Well, and we're from California, so we hear about that. I yeah, mean, we've that's true. Heard of people that we know who've gone to San Quentin or Pelican Bay or whatever. So right. Folsom Prison for our Johnny Cash fans. Yeah. 
So this place is not awesome. And Kevin is not popular because he's a baby killer. Mm. So that's below. I didn't think about that, but yeah. Yeah. So like on the totem pole at the prisons, that's like below everybody except child molesters. Is Chomo the bottom? Yes. Okay. It's the second. So Chomo's the worst. Yes. Well, I've, okay. I, they're probably pretty even. Child killers and that's... child molesters are probably pretty squared up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Lateral. They're probably like the same. So <laughs> bottom of both totem poles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Kevin and his lawyers appeal his conviction because they say in her mental state, there's no way she could have been. There's no way he should have been convicted on just her testimony alone because her she has brain damage. I will say that's kind of fair. Yeah, but all of his appeals are denied. They say there's other circumstantial evidence besides her testimony, like the fights they'd had before that show the pattern of abuse, the blood sample match. Right. So Kevin's locked up in Soledad and the bedroom basher killing stop. Oh, damn. So okay. that's really not looking good for Kevin. I know you no, want to root for this guy so bad, but it just keeps getting worse. Well, I did, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm still thinking there might be a twist in here. So I'm holding on to like, maybe Kevin's not the worst, but like we're stacking the cards pretty heavily against him at this point. Yeah, I know. That's that's why I was laughing when you were like, oh man, I want him to be the big good guy. I'm like, dude, this just gets worse from here. So yeah. don't hold on to that too hard. So the- Killing stops, so that's not looking good for Kevin. But in the days before DNA, they can't link him to any of the other bedroom basher murders. Like, they're just like, well, maybe. But as the years go by, Kevin goes through pretty deep depressions and even contemplates suicide over the years. But eventually he settles in and he becomes like a model prisoner. He gets a job in prison. He finds Jesus, you know, the whole nine yards. I kind of feel like if you're in there for that, you kind of have to, right? Like if you mess yeah. up at all, like either the guards are going to get you or the prisoners are going to get you. Like right. So like you kind of have to like just play it real cool. Yep. So he gets a college degree and he's really trying to better himself. And eight years after his conviction, he's up for parole. So Kevin goes to the parole board and he's denied because he shows no remorse. He won't admit that he attacked Diana. And so the parole board's like, well, if you won't admit it, then obviously you can't show remorse and you couldn't have been rehabilitated. So go back to your cell, I guess. Oof. Yeah. So his lawyers are like, dude, just say you're sorry. Just admit it. Say you're sorry so that they'll parole you. Like he, they wanted to parole him because he was such a model inmate. But he wouldn't admit to it. Nope. He still says he's innocent, so they won't parole him. Come on, Kevin. I'm rooting for you. So by 1996, he'd been in prison for 16 years, and he'd been denied parole four times. And he realizes that he'll probably never get out of prison if he doesn't admit that he did this. You know, he just kind of like settles in to the fact that he's going to be there forever if he won't admit that he did it. But by 1996, DNA is kind of a big deal, which it wasn't in 79. Right. No, it's, it's heating up. Yeah. So an investigator named Detective... Detective Tarpley, who's studying the cold cases of the bedroom basher, decides he wants to run DNA on these cold cases and decide once and for all, like, is Kevin the bedroom basher or is it somebody else? Or So he goes to Soledad and he asks Kevin for a DNA sample. And somewhat surprisingly, Kevin just like rolls up his sleeves and says, do whatever the hell you want. So he runs the DNA tests on the bedroom basher victims like Deborah Kennedy, the one that was like a week after Diana's and the three Costa Mesa cases. And he gets a hit. Okay. Keep going. The hit is for a former Marine who is already in prison, but it isn't Kevin Green. Okay. Okay. Come on, Kevin. (laughs) Come on, Kevin. It's a guy named Gerald Parker, and it turns out he's in prison for the kidnapping and sexual assault of a 13-year-old girl. 
So they're like, okay, good, he's in prison. But they have to move kind of fast because he's scheduled to be released in three weeks. He's scheduled to be released. Mm -hmm. Yep. He served his sentence for the kidnapping and sexual assault of the 13-year-old girl, which I don't know why it was such a short sentence, but... That's beside yeah. the Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, to me, I thought that was death. Can't you get death for that? But I guess not. I would think. Yeah. I don't like Gerald either. Yeah. So he's a former Marine, but the guy just couldn't stay out of trouble. He was a career criminal. And in 1980, he was dishonorably discharged from the Marines after catching a felony charge. So they had to interview Gerald Parker. And he doesn't admit to shit. They're asking him about all these murders that his DNA matches up to do, and he's like, dude, I'm getting out of here in like three weeks. You're high if you think I'm going to confess to a bunch of murders from the 70s. Like, get out of here. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding, right? Like, who's going to do that? Yeah, he doesn't say shit. (laughs) But on a hunch, the detective asked Gerald about the Diana Green murder, because Diana's murder was so close to the bedroom bashers, and they just couldn't shake that, that she fit right into that MO. Plus, Kevin's whole story of a black man in a black van that seemed totally made up at the time, well, Parker is a black man, and he drove a black van. Yeah, just like good old Kevin said. I'm starting to come back around on Kevin. Yeah, so when they asked Gerald about Diana Green, something clicked with him. They mentioned the Marine Corps and the Brotherhood, and they tell him that if he's a good Marine and he knows something, he needs to talk because there's a Marine in prison. And if there shouldn't be, he needs to say what what's up. And he finally just said, you're right, there is a Marine in prison for a murder I committed. Ooh. Yeah. And he confesses that on the night of Diana's attack, he got wasted drunk like he always did before an attack. Oh, man. And he was walking by the Green's apartment, which I feel like he was more like out stalking, but okay. Sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, and he says he heard them arguing, and he took his opportunity. He waited and hung around the parking lot for a bit, and when he saw Kevin leave, he went to his van, grabbed a two-by-four, and that's when Kevin saw him, was in the parking lot, and he waited until Kevin drove off, and then he grabbed the two-by-four out of his van and walked into the Green's apartment. He says that Diana was in bed and she lifted her head like hey Kevin is that you and he stood in the doorway and when she saw his silhouette he said it seemed like she thought he was her husband because she like laid her head back down like in recognition like oh it's just you And he Mm. said after she laid her head back down, that's when he attacked her. I don't like Gerald very much. So then as he was leaving, he saw Kevin come back. You know, that's when Kevin was like, I saw this black guy twice, you know, when he was coming and going. God. What if he hadn't gone to that second Jack in the Box and just stayed in line? Like he might have caught him. In his apartment or in the act or something. Totally. So they run the DNA in the green case and it comes back as a match to Gerald Parker. So he also was type O negative blood. Man, dude. Yeah. That's a hard one, Erica. That's This one's tough. Yes. So Diana and her baby were victims of the bedroom basher after all and not Kevin. I've never heard of the bedroom basher. And like, it's such a catchy name. I feel like I would have, especially being from Orange County. But Andy wasn't caught until 96 because he was caught right now in 96. So the DA rushes to drop all the charges against Kevin and get him out of prison as quickly as possible. Because now they realize like, oh shit, we fucked up. Like... (sighs) Oh, I just realized the wife thought it was her husband the entire time. Oh, yeah. The whole time. That's why she testified against him. Dude! And of course, the jury convicted him because they're like, how could she not know if it was like she knows her husband? It's not like she's trying to pick a random stranger out of a lineup. Right. She knows her husband. And if she's sitting there telling me it was her husband, like, why wouldn't they believe her? Oh, my God. Yeah. Dude, the the trauma for all of these people. All of them. You know, like like, this guy... Oh, 
Yeah. Gerald, you fucked everything up. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. God. So they rushed to get Kevin out of prison as quickly as possible. And and they managed to do it like within a week, which is kind of surprising considering all the like legal stuff they have to do to do that. Yeah. But 16 years and three months is a long time to be locked up for something you didn't do. And for something to like double down on, like I didn't do this. Like I didn't do this so much. I'm willing to say I didn't do it and stay in prison rather than say I did do it and get out. Yeah. So a few years after his release, the governor signed a check for just over $600,000 for his 16 years of wrongful incarceration. They settled on an amount of about $100 a day that they were going to, the state gave him for being locked up. Oof, man. Which I'm actually surprised they paid him anything because nobody did anything wrong in this situation. I was kind of thinking that too, actually. Yeah. Like, it was a tragedy. Don't get me wrong. But, like, the prosecution didn't, like, fuck up evidence or do anything. Like, nobody did anything wrong. Yeah. I mean, they went with as much as they had. You know, like, they didn't have tons of DNA evidence or, I guess, DNA tools for that. So, yeah, Yeah. you're right. Nobody did anything wrong. They did everything as they knew to do it. It just so happened their witness was wrong. Yeah. And even Diana, she didn't know she was wrong. She just totally totally knows what she remember, you know, like and Gerald's explanation makes sense why she would have thought it was her husband. Like, I kind of get it. And with her brain injury. I mean, who knows? So he gets out and he moves to Missouri and remarries. So justice was finally served in this case. But Diana and her family are not satisfied with that answer. No? No. They still believe Kevin had something to do with it. What? Wait a minute. I, I, why? Because I've already like gone back on Kevin's team. I got to know. What's up? Uh-huh. Why? They just, do they think they like let him in? I, he, I don't know. I don't know their exact stance because they don't really give a lot of interviews or anything. But Diana's story is that they fought that night and he hit her. And she feels like even if Gerald Parker came in after the fact and did whatever he did and is admitting to doing, she feels like Kevin had attacked her first. That's her memory. That's what she remembers. Oh, man. So, all right. I'm back off of, you know what? I never should have been on Kevin's team anyway. Like, he admitted to hitting her. I don't know why I was so on his team. So, (laughs) I forgot about that. I just didn't want him to kill his baby, I guess. So Yeah. But I just wanted to make sure that I told you Diana's part of it. Like, she doesn't even feel like, oh, I'm sorry I put my husband in jail for 16 years when he didn't do this. Like, she she wants a restraining order. Like, she still thinks that he had something to do with this. Wow. That is, I mean, sounds like they shouldn't have been together anyway. Like, they obviously were not great together. So, I can see why she's pursuing other things. Like, he put his hands on her anyway. Like, yeah. okay, he didn't kill her or kill the baby, but like, 16 years, like, okay. Seems like a long time, though. Yeah. Does it? For put, putting your hands on your wife? I get it. I get it. But he also didn't serve 16 years for putting his hands on his wife. He served 16 years for killing a baby, which he didn't do. Yeah. Which I, made that 16 years a lot worse than... Yeah. That's what I was going to say. He probably yeah. was inflicted with a lot more mistreatment because of why he was supposed to be in there. Yeah. Do the inmates apologize? Like, if he gets out for, and, like, they realize, like, it wasn't him, like, do you think the inmates are like, hey, man, sorry for hitting you with that soap and that sock, but, you know, like, we had just had to do what we had to do. Yeah, I don't know. Prison politics are interesting. I don't know. I don't know how that would yeah. work. I don't know. But- it is an interesting case, and it's, like I said, it's hard because it's, you don't know, it's it seems resolved, but, and Gerald Parker's obviously a bad guy, he's a serial killer. Oh yeah, totally. He's on death row in San Quentin. Alright, that's fair. Yeah, he's, he's done, he's never gonna get out on parole or anything like that, so. It's kind of crazy how, like, he was so willing to be like, you know what, 
If another Marine's in trouble, I'll admit to it. Like, if it's anybody else, fuck them. But another Marine, the brotherhood is too strong. Like, whatever, dude. Just go to jail and shut up. Well, there is an explanation for that, though. If you look back, we didn't get too far because this story was more about the Green case than it was right. about Gerald Parker. But if you go back in his history to, like, his the way he was brought up, they say that the Marine Corps was, like, the only good thing he ever had in his life. Oh. Uh... And that's why he was so screwed up because he had a terrible childhood. Just the normal sob story and the marine corps was like the only good thing he ever had it's so important that people are good to their kids like i know if you have kids or expecting kids like you have to be good to them otherwise they could end up on our podcast and yeah they could end up like gerald parker and nobody should end up like gerald parker yeah all right well you have anything else this week or are you done with me or what are we doing here are we ending um, this episode? Yeah, we might as well just jump out. So um, <laughs> thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it very much. Congratulations again to Mark and Amanda on being wedded. Yes, congratulations, guys. Yeah, and we just decided that we're going to try to not, I don't care anymore about trying to like, oh, how are we going to end this like not awkwardly? It's like, okay, it's over. That's the end of it. <laughs> if you don't like it, turn it off sooner. Yeah, it's just awkward. It's awkward to end a <laughs> podcast. If anybody has any suggestions on how we should end it, go to our Instagram at from crime to crime or email us at from crime to crime podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, because my suggestion is just going the end and Grant doesn't well, think that's cool. I mean, we can try it this time. You want to? Yep. Okay. I love you. Love you too. The end. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast has been a production of Orange Halo Media LLC, hosted by Grant Nerica. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. To chat with us, go to From Crime to Crime on Instagram, From Crime to Crime on TikTok, From Crime the Number Two Crime on Twitter, or you can visit our website at FromCrime2Crime.com. See you next Wednesday. <laughs>